I'll be reading Mark 13, 26-27. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Hi, I'll be reading Isaiah 43, 1-7. But now is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give you Egypt for your ransom. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who am I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Hi, I'll be reading from Revelation 7, 1-3. Then I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds so they did not blow the earth or the sea, or even on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God, and he shouted to the four angels, who had given power to the harm in the sea. Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of the God on the foreheads of his servants. All right, now that we're awake... Sorry, Julie, that was just irresistible. You might want to turn your cell phone off. I know Fear Elise and a whole lot of other songs, too. And you do not want to hear me rap today. So if you've got one of those tunes, not good. I was watching a little cheery television this week, and they had a special on the five most likely ways the whole world will be destroyed. All of them were, were really rather, uh, wow, um, tragic and, and uh, uncontrollable and, and really frightening. First of all, I think they predict that in 2021, if I have my date wrong, I'm off by no more than eight years. 2021, there's supposed to be a mega asteroid that passes within the moon's distance of the Earth. This mega asteroid, if the Earth's gravity is enough to pull it into the Earth itself, will hit the Earth with so much force that within 24 hours, all life on Earth will be gone. It will create a crater so large that it will be like a blast effect, a ripple effect that just goes right around the globe with force and heat that just destroys everything in its wake. In fact, you know how we say that when Jesus comes, he'll be so bright and so shining that the wicked 
will die from that exposure, that they'll cry for the mountains to fall on them. They'll be seeking any way to get out of the way of the glory of God. Have you heard that before? Well, this asteroid will light up if it comes to the Earth's atmosphere and burn so hot that it will scorch people and animal life on the side of the planet on which it hits before it even hits. Cheery little thought. Set your clocks, 2021. Maybe we'll gather here, I don't know. And hope it hits the other side of the world first anyway. I I don't know. Then they came to number two, and this was, you've probably seen specials on this. This is what they call a mega volcano. Now, we're not talking about some puny little thing like Mount Helens or something like this that just destroys 10 million square acres or whatever. We're talking about something the size of two or three states of the United States. And actually, Yellowstone Park is at the center, uh, epicenter of what would be a supervolcano. We don't know if it will blow. We don't know when it will blow. But we know that when it does, the United States is toast. Basically, uh, so much volcanic ash and other emissions will erupt into the atmosphere that it won't settle in time to preserve plant life. And plant life on the planet will die out. And as plant life dies out, animal life will die out. And as this all settles, of course, it will fill the lungs with what's tantamount to cement. Basically, the ash will be breathed, and as it's breathed, it's really a stone ash. So it's like a mortar. And as it's breathed, it builds up in the lungs until all of the alveoli and all of the bronchioles and tubes and so forth there are filled and we're not able to breathe anymore. Are you feeling good yet? Oh, win those saints. All right, so that's number two. Number three was a nuclear winter. If we launch ours and they launch theirs, I think the last statistic prior to disarmament I heard was that we alone had enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world 27 times over. I think we've reduced our arsenal to the point that we only could do it now about eight times, but who's counting? Basically what happens here is that you not only have a radiation cloud, but you also have heat and fallout in such degrees that it ends up killing off the vast majority of animal life. Now experts disagree about whether there'll be a remnant that survives any of these catastrophes. Some of them say um, that man is a tenacious creature, that uh, animal life survived the last big meteor or the last big volcanic eruption, etc., um, so they, they, they're, they're a little bit optimistic. Most of them are not. Most of them say humankind will see its end at that moment. Let's see, what was number four? I forget number four. Number five was global warming. One degree uh, every few years here for six degrees will create conditions that are utterly inhospitable because what will end up happening is uh, crop failure in, in dry parts of the world and flooding and typhoon and hurricane-type storms in other parts of the world. We already see an increase in uh, hurricane activity on the East Coast and through the South and Mid-South there, Texas, Oklahoma, that area. 
And a lot of that's coming off of the seas where superstorms are being formed because the waters are warm and they're evaporating more quickly than they did when they were cold. So as the earth heats up further, more evaporation, more megastorms, more problems and issues like this. So you glad you came to church today? I, I should have taped this thing and we could just show it sometime. Um, but as unoptimistic as things seem to be when we look at these sorts of mega disasters and predictions and the incredible catastrophes that could befall us at any given time, it seems. And the more we look at the political and economic climate of our world and the more we see utter selfishness of people who don't seem to care what's happening to others on the planet or animal or vegetable life on the planet. And the more we witness the tragedies of war and the more we see the effects of sin the more we tend to as a people say, even so, Lord Jesus, come. The more our hearts are ready to receive him in a way that we have not yet seen or received him. And I think one of the questions outstanding is if Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, why has he taken so long to come back? You ever ask that question? Be honest. Hello, you can nod, wave. Yeah, I think we've all asked that question. Why so long? There's this image that's taking place Wenrick family read today. In Revelation 7. Revelation 7 comes on the heels of the seven trumpets. There's lots of disagreement in Christendom about the meaning of the seven trumpets. But there are various acts of judgment, among other things. And in 7, we find a scene where there is a command. There are four angels standing at the four corners of the world. Now, please, don't run into literal places. I don't know that uh, uh, the ancients even were thinking in this case of a four-cornered world or universe. There's lots of cosmological evidence in the Old Testament that they conceived of a flat world, but, or at least a layered world. But we have the four corners of the world and it's really referring to the entire world. When you've covered the four corners, you've covered the whole thing. Does that make sense? And these four beings, these four angels are holding back the winds of strife. They're holding on to the four winds. And it's a very powerful image if we can grasp it this morning, if we'll just take a minute to let it in. Turn to Revelation 7. Revelation 7, verse 1. 
Now the sixth uh, seals, I said trumpets, didn't I? I'm sorry, I meant seals. The trumpets are in eight. My, my, uh, just switch those. The sixth seal is an interesting one. Verse 12 of chapter 6. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Now, does this remind you of a passage somewhere else? should it should remind you of mark 13 and matthew 24 right the sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place are we talking about something fairly cataclysmic here i would say so then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? was what I was describing with the glory of the coming of Christ. Who can stand? And chapter 7 is going to answer the question. After this I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Now various expositors have assigned various meanings to these things. And uh, you no doubt have an opinion. But at the very least, trees are understood to represent people. And seas, huge groups of people. And so we find really a description, as I said earlier, of the whole earth. And the four winds are being held back from blowing upon the whole earth. Verse 2, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we've put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now this is a remarkable thing. It's a remarkable thing that's going to take place here. We have the four angels pictured at the four corners holding back the winds of strife, preserving for future, preserving for posterity, preserving for time, a people for God. And another angel who comes and represents not the first seal, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, not these signs that are represented, not the destruction that's coming, but carries with him the seal of the living God. Now, we have a little uh, understanding. Actually, it's absolutely huge, isn't it? That we live in a battle between good and evil. We live in a conflict between Christ and Satan. There is a universal war, if you will, of epic proportion. And we're all asked to make a decision, a very important decision. Whose side 
are you on in this war? And once you've chosen a side, what do you think of God? What is your judgment on the living God? Now, some of you may not be sure about that because it is God who judges the living and the dead. But God's judgment is not exclusive of our own. You see, in this great controversy, in this war between Christ and Satan, Satan has accused God. He's accused God of being unjust and unfair, setting standards too high. He's accused God of lots of things. And in accusing God, God is the one who needs vindication. And the vindication comes not from God himself. He doesn't self-vindicate. The vindication comes from the creation. Those beings who affirm that he is in fact just and true and worthy. That's you and I. And so something incredible is happening here. The seal of God is coming and it's going to be placed on the foreheads of his people. God is going to seal up his people. This will be a group that has been determined not only to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, to be made righteous because of the sacrifice of Christ, to have accepted the grace of God. But this is a group that has judged God and found him vindicated. This is a group that speaks well of God. We speak poorly of God more often than we think. And not just when we stub our toes. Thank you, Lamar. We speak poorly of God sometimes when we assign to him things that are not his fault. When we attribute to him calamity that he neither desires nor instigates. Now, I'm not trying to stand before you and say that the judgment of God will not end, will not end in a destruction and a recreation. That's what we are told, and that is what we believe. But we live in a world in which really tragic things happen, even to God's people, even to good people. We live in a world that is no longer the Eden it was created to be. So just to kind of get back on the flow of things here, we have these incredible beings who've been given this amazing destructive power. And they're holding back these winds. Now winds in the scripture are interesting things. There are four winds in scripture. The one spoken of most is an easterly wind. And the easterly wind is a dry, hot wind. An easterly wind is a wind that causes destruction many times. The north winds are cool winds and seasonal and bring with them sometimes 
uh, very pleasant temperatures, which encourages crops not to wither but to grow. West winds come over the Mediterranean and often bring with them rains, fall between November and February. South winds can go either very hot and destructive or very mild in Scripture. So there's a meteorological aspect to this. The four corners and the four winds are sort of tied to this idea of the forces of nature. That's why the east winds, the Shiraka winds, most often represent a judgment and destruction. But all of them together can be understood to be forces to be reckoned with. Four winds are understood by many also to be the four spirits. Ru, ruach in the Hebrew, but pneuma in the Greek. You have pneumatic tire, pneumonia, air, God-breathed, etc. Spirit is another name sometimes for this. So you have this incredible pent-up energy of destruction. And with no winds blowing from any of the corners of the earth, you have a period of calm. Isn't that what we're told is going to happen? We're warned that everybody is going to say, ah, peace and security and prosperity, and then the end comes. Have you heard that before? Or am I making it up? Is it biblical? You bet it is. Peace, prosperity, calm, no wind blowing. Everybody says, ah, everything's good. I have everything I need. Everything's fine. And then suddenly it comes. The winds are released. The angels let go. But they haven't let go yet. Let's look at the other texts we had for the morning. Let's go to Isaiah 43, 1-7. By the way, there's a, a lot available that you can study even online on these things if you take just a few minutes. Uh, Isaiah writes often in times of captivity, destruction, foreboding, difficult times for Israel, God's people. In verse 41, chapter 43, verse 1, it says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I am have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not drown you or sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Actually, it should be Sheba. 
Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and back and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the world, or world earth. Sorry. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. I don't know what to make of the peoples that Jesus or God is describing as giving up his ransom. But what I do know is what's being described is a people that he's formed and made and called. A people formed and made and called and redeemed. And in today's context, those are his people. Those who call on his name. Those who have believed. Those who have accepted the gift. These people are people that he promises here he's going to stand by. He's going to protect. He's going to shelter and shield. When we go through difficult things, he will be there and no harm will come to us. This is the one who says he's going to gather the diaspora. He's going to gather the scattered flock of Israel and Judah. This is the one who says, though the tribes have been sent to the four corners of the earth, there's no center anymore. I will be their center and I will bring them back to me. I will draw them in from everywhere, everywhere they've gone to, and I will bring those with them who have believed. Four winds scattered, and God gathers from four winds, from four points, from four places, from the whole world. He gathers his elect. He brings his people. He, the one who identifies himself as Savior, as Creator, redeems. I will bring back my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. Mark chapter 13. Jesus is giving his very famous sermon. We were reading in Revelation a minute ago the sixth seal. Verse 24, but in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. 26, at that time men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and with glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, 
you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away unless all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Be on guard, be alert. You don't know when the time will come. I'm not going to keep reading that. You can keep reading that. You know, this had its fulfillment in a generation. To those in Jerusalem, time came to an end in 70 AD. People were crucified, killed, starved out. I don't know if there's any record of these astrological signs taking place. But the generation of those who've been redeemed is not finished yet. The generation of those who will accept the call of God to come and be reconciled is not filled yet. The generation of those who will say, I hold God blameless has not yet met its measure. The generation of those who will wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb is not yet full. The generation who has been formed and made and redeemed and delivered has not yet exceeded the capacity of the multitude. And God waits. And he's waiting. And these winds are stilled. But one day they'll blow. And what we want for ourselves this day is to be in the camp of those who have been sealed by God. That seventh seal. That perfect seal. That seal that marks us as his forever. Never to be taken from him. Never to be shaken. Never more to be subject to sin and death. He's waiting for that people. 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And the great multitude that stands. I don't know what's going to finally destroy the world. I I'm not privy to which of these five amazing tools God is going to use. Maybe he has a whole nother arsenal that I know nothing about. And I don't rejoice in that or look forward to that per se. It will be a calamitous and a terrible time. What I do look forward to is the day in which I hear my Lord say, Welcome home, son. Welcome home. Because, like Joshua of old said, this man named the Lord saves. You have a choice to make. And today is the day to make it. Choose ye today. Choose you this day. Who is it that you want to honor? 
Who is it that you want to vindicate? Who is it that you want to believe? Who is it that you will follow? Who will be your God? Put in the vernacular of the day, who's your daddy? The answer came back from Joshua. It's for me and for my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Let us pray that the winds of strife continue to be held back. That the mercy of God might extend yet to those we love. And that those from our families and our circles of friends who don't know yet and haven't accepted yet the love and grace of our God might join us in vindicating him. And then let the winds come. And then let us celebrate. Let us pray. Oh Lord, your mercy seems to extend forever. And yet in an aging world with many problems, it's not hard to imagine that your coming is very soon. Hold back those winds of strife and destruction. We would that our loved ones know you. We would that our children accept you. We would that our friends have a sense of the work that you've done in their lives and the redemption.